This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Scotty Madison. Card 63T, catcher first baseman, Kansas City Royals. Okay, this is a player I don't know very well, so looking forward to this one. But we do have follow-up from previous episodes, including some follow-up on Mike Rambo-Diaz. We referenced Choji Murata on the Mike Diaz episode. Mike Diaz was one of the first foreigners to play catcher in a game in NPB, and he caught a game for Choji Murata. Shortly after we talked about that in the Mike Diaz episode, Choji Murata died. He was found on the burned second floor of his home in Tokyo, and he died at the hospital shortly after on November 11th. As we discussed, Murata is a Japanese baseball hall of famer, so RIP Choji Murata. We also received from friend of the show, Jeff Snyder, at Snydog on Twitter, some insight into the Mike Diaz trade that we were perplexed about. Mike Diaz was a minor league catcher in the Phillies organization, and he was traded for a slightly older AAA catcher from the Pirates organization. Jeff sent us an article about this trade, and the question was asked why Mike Diaz was traded so cheaply from the Phillies to the Pirates. And Diaz said that it hurt me when I heard I'd been traded for Steve Hertz. But it turns out that this trade was part of a cover-up. It was just a throw-in to finish a bigger trade, that of Kent to Colby for Al Holland. The Phillies said, we didn't want to trade him, but we were so anxious to deal Al Holland, we would have done almost anything. And Diaz was happy to get away from Philadelphia as we talked about there were 15 catchers in the Phillies organization. The Phillies ended up getting the better end of that deal. Kent Tocolvi gave the Phillies three very good seasons and one okay season. Al Holland pitched in 38 games for the Pirates and then was sent with George Hendrick and the Candyman to California. So the Phillies really wanted to get rid of Al Holland. Makes sense to me. So thank you, Snydog, for that. And now let's go to this week's card and Scotty Madison. And why are we talking about Scotty today? Thank you to listener Andrew at IHC Guy on Twitter, who tweeted a 1988 Tops All Obscure list. There were 16 players on this list. I did not recognize a single one of them. I think I recognized two of them. I didn't recognize Scotty, but it immediately jumped out at me because who goes by Scotty with an I, but no E? So I Googled it, found a couple interesting little tidbits, said, all right, let's go with it. And Scotty is a unique player and has a unique card, as he was only in the Topps traded set. He isn't in the original set. He had a career worthy of an autobiography, and he also wrote a couple other books in retirement, and had a very successful second career. So he's perhaps our most published player. Three books. Maybe just one more than Andy Van Slyke. So I think that he does top the list at this point. So that sounds like a great show to me. Let's go to the front of 63T. And here we have Scotty Madison. This is a strange looking card, I would say. First of all, the colors look great. As we've talked about, the Royals in this set look excellent. There's lots of blue. He is in a ready position in the infield. He's in the base path, very bright sun. He's ready for a ground ball to come his way. And he's down real low. He's really ready. He's down low like he's 
he's almost to an isometric squat position. He's displaying Tom Amansky fundamentals in this. He looks like he watched the video. He's got good stirrups going on here. Good uniform. The Royals light blue along with a dark blue undershirt. In college, he was a catcher. And in the minors, he split time between first base, third base, and catcher. A little bit of outfield. But in this, it almost looks like he's playing middle infield. But Scotty was willing to play anywhere, which made him kind of a valuable player when he was in the majors. And, you know, because he had a very brief moment in the majors, he was willing to play anywhere. Looks like he's willing to pose anywhere for a photo is what this looks like. But he looks like a ball player in this picture. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It is a good picture. Now to the back of 63T and we have Scotty Madison. Height 5'11", 195, switch hitter and right-handed thrower, drafted by the Twins in the third round of 1980, born September 12th, 1959 in Pensacola, Florida, with a home in Nashville, Tennessee. His name at birth was Charles Scott Madison, but he goes by Scotty with an I, no E. And in baseball reference, I look to see if there's another Scotty with that spelling. There is a guy named Claudio Scotty, who was born in Rome who pitched in the Mets system in Rookie League in 2022. Prior to that, he was with Bologna in the Italian League. The other Scotty first name is Scotty Reeves, who played in the Philly system from 1987 to 89. So the only two Scotties in baseball reference were active at the same time. Only this Scotty made it to the majors. Scotty was born in Pensacola, the westernmost city in Florida's panhandle, settled by the Spanish in 1559, predating the settlement of St. Augustine by six years, but the settlement was abandoned due to a hurricane. It was named for the Pensacola people who inhabited the area at the time of European contact. And in the 50s, around 50,000 people lived in the city. It hasn't grown that much, around 54,000 today. And it reminds me, there was a show called Pensacola Wings of Gold, an action drama TV show based at the Pensacola Naval Air Station. And this is a show that I never watched. Me either, but it sounds fun. Yeah, maybe it's like Wings, but at a naval (laughs) air station. Listeners, let us know if Pensacola Wings of Gold is worth a revisit. Other famous Pensacolans include Joe Scarborough, Emmett Smith, Roy Jones Jr., Iowa basketball legend Reggie Evans, and Mark Gormley. Matt, had you heard of the viral video sensation Mark Gormley? I had not, but in preparation for the show, I took a little trip back to 2007 to this amazing music video. (laughs) This amazing, (laughs) this amazing music (laughs) video. (laughs) Hard to say without laughing, folks. Of Mark Gormley singing his song that he had written in 1977, so 30 years before he's performing it here. Let's take a listen. Do you think? you find your way Little foolish wings tossed about in the winds of fate Do you hope and do you think you stand a chance The wind is steering colder, the sea is growing bolder, little wings So David, my impression from listening to this is, I think it's a good song He has a lovely voice, he really does This brings me, like, very strong prog vibes. He has a weird mustache and some giant science teacher glasses. And he does something in his video that 
people on the internet call the power stance. Mm. He kind of has this this odd shape to his body, but he has a, a very high pitched voice and some weird graphics in the videos. This was an early viral video hit, maybe in two thousand seven eight era. I think that's when I was introduced to Mr. Gormley, perhaps Pensacola's finest musician. I'm digging Mark's vibe here. I like the boat. I like these birds. And he has a high voice, but he's got some high hopes, too. I mentioned Roy Jones Jr. earlier. Roy Jones Jr. was in a band called Body Headbangers with Bone Crusher. And honestly, that's the other notable Pensacola, Florida musician that I thought to bring up. <laughs> Bone Crusher and Mark Gormley. That's all I got, Matt. My musical interests, they're varied. <laughs> they're special scotty grew up in pensacola and he was a very good baseball and football player he was coached in football by his uncle carl there's a book about carl madison he coached for 45 years at high schools in alabama and florida he won multiple state titles in 1988 he was the high school coach of the year and he is second in wins among florida coaches with 326 in 2022 the tate high school football field was dedicated as Carl Madison Field. When Scotty was 10, he lost his mother and sister in an accident. They were killed by a drunk driver. So Scotty was able to overcome that tragedy and became very successful at Tate High School on the athletic field. Other Tate alums include kicker Graham Gano, all-star third baseman Travis Fryman, and pitcher Don Sutton. Scotty was good enough to get MLB attention, drafted by the Reds in the 35th round out of high school. But he decided to go the college route instead. He was recruited by Alabama, LSU, and Vanderbilt to play baseball and football. He said, I went up to Vanderbilt on a weekend and met with Dr. Rob Purdy, the vice chancellor of the university, and Mr. Fred Russell, who was a local sports writer. I sat between these two gentlemen and was going right to left, listening to their stories. I'd never met in my life two more interesting and distinguished people that had more class and character than these two individuals. So... It persuaded him. He picked Vandy and with a scholarship on both the baseball and football field, but he didn't even see the football field till junior year. In 1978, he started three games, except this Commodores team was bad. They went two and nine. According to sports reference, Scotty completed only 25% of his passes in those three games. Pretty bad Vanderbilt football team around this time. But on the baseball field, he was really good for coach Larry Schmidow. He played catcher, and after two seasons, he was named to the All-SEC team. He set the single-season home run record for Vanderbilt and the career home run record at 19. So at that point, pretty low bar to set the career home run record. And he would lead the team in 1978 in RBIs, doubles, runs scored, and hit 313. At this point, he still has two years of football eligibility left. The team's bad. The coach gets fired. New coach comes in, and according to Scotty, he gets a call telling him that he would have a shot to be the starting quarterback. But at this point, his baseball career is on the upswing, and the football team is pretty terrible. To be fair, David, it's never a good year for Vanderbilt football. Feel free to tweet at me with your corrections. So because of that, Scotty decides to focus on baseball. And so in 1979, he played on a USA All-Star team that played in Cuba, and he got to meet Fidel Castro. He met Fidel and introduced himself using, quote, the six months of Spanish I learned at Vanderbilt. I think that's pretty good, actually. Got to take a picture with Fidel Castro. 
And perhaps thanks to Fidel Castro's influence, he was selected in the 1979 draft in the 10th round by the Giants. But that wasn't really high enough. He decided to return for his senior year. And it's a good thing he did. As a senior in 1980, Scotty leads the team again in batting, 399 average, RBIs with 56, and hits 15 home runs. So just extending that team record. He's first team All-SEC and first team All-American. He finished his career at Vanderbilt as the career home run leader with 49, a record that has since been tied by Pedro Alvarez. So the Twins pick him in the third round, seven spots ahead of Danny Tartable. His agent was Robert Fraley. They were able to negotiate a $12,000 signing bonus, which really didn't impress Scotty very much. Scotty was one of Fraley's first clients, and Fraley would go on to become a very big deal, having clients like NFL coaches Bill Parcells, Bill Cower, Dan Reeves, and Joe Gibbs, in addition to Cortez Kennedy and Oral Hershiser. And in the golf world, he was the agent for Payne Stewart, which tragically meant that he was on the plane with Payne Stewart when uh, his plane crashed in 1999, killing everyone aboard. So Fraley assisted Scotty with this negotiation. Scotty gets sent to Orlando, and this starts a whole back of a card worth of minors. And I think something that we haven't seen on a card yet, which is a player who has major league experience, but at the bottom of the card, it only shows minor league totals. There are so many lines on this card, there's no room for a fun fact. It has 14 different lines from different clubs that he played on. And while there are three different lines of major leagues, the vast majority on here are minor league at-bats and games played. So if it had major league totals, there's only 15 games worth of major league experience on here. Two of those lines have zero batting average. So it's a very odd card. He also has game-winning RBIs for his 1987 and his career, but those have to be minor league stats because those are much higher than whatever major league total RBIs he had. Just a very strange card. He starts at Orlando, and he did enough to move along. He hits 230 with six home runs. 1981, he gets to go to spring training. At spring training, he makes friends with Kent Herbeck. And both of them, coming out of spring training, are assigned to Visalia for A-ball. So you have two 21-year-old guys who decide they're going to drive from Melbourne, Florida, to Visalia, California, in Kent Herbeck's pickup truck. Oh, this sounds amazing. Scotty said they had friends in various cities. Actually, he said there were girls in various cities that they knew. So they stopped in New Orleans, Houston, Phoenix. They got close to Vegas, so Scotty said he'd never been to Vegas. They pull up to Caesar's Palace in a pickup truck wearing T-shirts and jeans. Somewhere along the line, they lost track of time. (laughs) They showed up two days late to Visalia. Luckily, the coaches couldn't really say much because these guys were two of the best players on the team. And those two days didn't seem to slow anybody down. Herbeck hit 379 with 27 homers and OPS over one. So good that he got called up from A ball to the big leagues. Scotty was almost as good as Herbeck. He hit 342, 26 homers, 110 RBIs. He also added 19 steals as a catcher. A 1.045 OPS. He made the California League All-Star team. And this was a really good team. But going into 1982, the paths of these two players would diverge. Yeah, Kent Herbeck would make the All-Star game and finish second in Rookie of the Year 
voting for the American League. Meanwhile, Scotty got traded in January with minor leaguer Paul Voigt to the Dodgers for pitcher Bobby Castillo and outfielder Bobby Mitchell. Seemed like a good deal at the time. The Twins got two major leaguers out of the deal, and Scotty was a valuable prospect up and coming. And the Dodgers were coming off a World Series win, so it was an exciting time for him to join the team. Scotty goes to spring training with the Dodgers, and he said it was all Hollywood. After practice and games, Frank Sinatra would be there eating dinner with us at night, or Danny Kaye and Cindy Lauper. Man, that is awesome. Out of spring training, he was assigned to AA San Antonio and also played a little bit at AAA, and combined that year, he hit two thirty-three with seven homers, splitting time between catcher and third base. 1983, he again is splitting time between double-A and triple-A, but he's much better at the plate this season, hitting a combined 303 with 13 home runs and an 892 OPS. So even though he had a good year, Scotty said he never felt like he fit the mold of a Dodger, and he wanted to get out of L.A. So he was relieved in spring training 1984 when he's told that his contract was sold to the Tigers. Then he made the mistake of asking how much they sold it for, and the Dodgers management told him they felt like they got a really good deal. They sold his contract for $10,000. Ooh, oof. It's less than his bonus. Oof. He spent 1984 at AA Birmingham, splitting time between catcher and first base. He hit 273 with 15 homers. In 1985, he was at Birmingham and AAA Nashville. At Birmingham, he hit 322, then got called up to AAA. And when he got to Nashville, there he is. He's back in his college town. And his college coach, Larry Schmittau, was a part owner of the Nashville Sound. Scotty said that next to being in the big leagues, playing in Nashville was the best time of his life. He was a versatile player, playing catcher, first base, third base, some left field. And he made the all-star team, leading the American Association with a 341 average and a 590 slugging percentage, 16 home runs, and 54 RBIs. He impressed the Tigers so much that summer that he finally got a call up. He flies to Texas and plays in his first big league game on July 6th. Over that next two weeks, he plays in six games, but went 0 for 11 <laughs> with two walks and finished the season in Nashville. Looking at the back of the card for that 1985, six games played, 11 at-bats, one RBI, and two walks. So not impressive numbers for his first season. 1986, he spent most of the season in Nashville, aside from a two-game call-up in May, and he went 0 for 7 in two games against Detroit. Again, batted in one run and had three strikeouts. So he's at least delivering runs. Yeah. More, more than zero. More than zero RBIs. On the year at AAA that year, he's okay. 257, 10 home runs. But after the season, he's granted free agency, signs with the Royals, sent to AAA Omaha, and he played really well at Omaha, 271 with 22 home runs, and he earns a late-season call-up to Kansas City. Scotty said that he had nightmares. He said similar to when you have a dream that you didn't get your college diploma and you have to go back for a class, he said his dreams would be that he just had a baseball career and never got a hit. In his two previous call-ups, he's 0 for 18, He had three strikeouts, so he's making contact. He's just unlucky. In his first four games with Kansas City, he doesn't get a hit. So now he's up to 0 for 23, and that takes him to October 2nd. 
he gets a start catching Brett Saberhagen against Frank Viola and the Twins. And in his first at bat, he gets a double. Madison said he started crying on second base after getting his first hit. Then in his second at bat, he got another double. And then in his third at bat off of Viola, another double and ends up scoring. He struck out in his fourth at bat, but there you go. His first three hits in the majors were all doubles, and the Royals got the win 6-3. to three. He had one other hit that season for a 267 average on the year. But a 467 slugging looks pretty good on this card. It really does. And I'm guessing, David, that those seven games and that power surge is why Scotty got this card. Why he ended up even making the trade, it said, is that maybe looked like someone that would end up getting some playing time in 1988. And his numbers in the minors were always pretty good in AAA. So he looked like a guy who could fill a spot regularly, if not full-time, on a major league roster. In 1988, he starts out with Kansas City, plays 16 games in the first two months. He's hitting only 171 and gets sent back down to Omaha. He hit only 240 to close out that season and was granted free agency after the season. He signed with the Reds, but he said that he felt like he didn't get a fair shot in spring training. And he was called into Pete Rose's office and told he would be assigned to Nashville, which was now Cincinnati's AAA affiliate. Scotty told Pete Rose he didn't feel like he had gotten a fair chance. He's a switch hitter who could play multiple positions, and he had a lot to offer the team. And he asked Rose, if I'm the best hitter on the AAA team during the season, and if you need a hitter, am I going to be the first player called up? And Pete Rose said, I'll give you my word right now. If you're my best hitter, you'll be the first player I call up. And hey, Scotty made the all-star game where he batted right after Tom O'Malley. I watched way too much of this AAA all-star game. There are some good (laughs) names on this list, though. Greg Vaughn is there. The pitcher for the American League was Tom Drees, who we mentioned in some previous episode, maybe to Jack McDowell. Tom Drees, who pitched two straight no-hitters and three no-hitters and never got called up to the White Sox. He's the starter on this AAA American League team. Very good game. I I watched a couple innings of it. Well, hey, I'm glad you're watching it, David. You're in good company because Pete Rose was watching that game. Scotty goes one for four with an RBI in that all-star game on July 12th. And Pete Rose calls him up on July 21st, keeping his promise. Scotty played in a decent number of games for Cincinnati, 40 games overall. He, He only went 17 for 98, a 174 average. But he had seven doubles, seven RBIs, and he hit his only major league home run. That homer came off his 1979 Team USA versus Cuba teammate, Craig Lefferts. In 1989, Lefferts is playing for the Giants, and Scotty hit a home run in San Francisco, and he still has the picture of Pete Rose congratulating him after the home run, and he has that framed. That same year, the Reds are dealing with the fallout from Rose's gambling. And Rose ends up stepping down in August. Scotty said he appreciated Rose for keeping his word, but this was a really difficult time for the team and for Scotty personally. He also ends up released at the end of the season, and he called it a career rather than try to catch on with another AAA team where he may or may not get called up. Yeah, the value of that frame photo tanked pretty quickly after it was taken. So a sad end to that story, but closing the book on Scotty Madison... Five seasons in the major leagues with 71 games played, 
163 average, and that one home run. His career in AAA, seven seasons, a 279 average, 58 home runs, 242 RBIs, and an 826 OPS in 466 games played. How about in retirement? Scotty and his first wife, Libby, had two kids, Tori and Trent. Scotty has since remarried and still lives in Nashville. He went into insurance after his baseball career, and actually, maybe during his baseball career, according to a quote on the back of one of his books, Scotty was working for Aflac while he was still playing baseball. I mean, we saw Glenbow was running a gas station, so Scotty was selling insurance while playing ball, and he was doing it well. According to his biography on Bookshop, he was the most successful supplemental insurance salesman in the world. He was Aflac's number one salesman for seven straight years. So really successful career in insurance sales. He wrote a book about his path through the minors called Just a Phone Call Away. And for those few seasons, that's what Scotty was. He was in Nashville or Omaha, and he was the first guy on the list to get a call to come up to the majors. But his career just, it just didn't quite make it to that major league level. And this book, his story is described like Forrest Gump in real life due to Scotty's brushes with celebrities, baseball royalty, and just the strange journey that Scotty went on in this circuitous route and some of these stories that he has to tell. He also wrote a book called It's Not the Duck, It's the Walk and the Talk. Pretty sure that's an Aflac reference to the duck. The book is about success in sales and focuses on perfecting the, quote, everything else in you that sets apart your walk and talk in sales from everyone else. Well, that is quite a career and actually a a real turn I wasn't expecting. So what do we think about him as a player? He played five seasons in Major League Baseball and had 71 games. But the back of this card has a pretty long litany of teams all over the United States. On the back of his card, he's already played 900 games in the minors. He retired before he was 30 and he played all over the country. He's inducted into Vanderbilt's Hall of Fame for his play on the baseball field, but what an athlete to be considered by big-time college programs in baseball and as a quarterback. On the field, he's a very good AAA player. Just missed that last leap to Major League Baseball and maybe wasn't given time to settle in. But he is well-liked by his teammates and coaches. George Brett, also quoted on the back of one of Scotty's books, said, maybe a backhanded compliment, When Scotty came to the Royals, I nominated him to be the player representative. He was the only guy on the team who had gone to college, and it was Vanderbilt. (laughs) Pete Rose gave Scotty what he said was the ultimate compliment. Rose is talking to other coaches, including Tony Perez, and he says, Look at this. Scotty Madison is the only gamer we've got on the team. Every day he comes to the ballpark, and he comes to play hard. Scotty said, Pete, I appreciate that because I'm not playing baseball to make money. I'm playing baseball because I love playing baseball. And at this point, I didn't look at Scotty's salary. He might have made more money selling insurance than he was playing baseball. The most he made was $70,000 for the Reds in 1989. He was still there at that point, bouncing back and forth from AAA to the majors because he loved the game. But I wanted to get back a little bit to Scotty as a man. I said he wrote three books. The book about his minor league career came out in 2013. The book about sales came out in 2022. The book I didn't 
mentioned earlier was called The Other Side of the Earth. And this is a book that is about Scotty's trip to Mount Sinai in Egypt, where according to the Old Testament, Moses received the Ten Commandments. Scotty took this trip to take his son Trent's ashes to Mount Sinai. In 2013, Trent died of a heroin overdose. He had suffered from substance abuse, and he, while in college, got addicted to OxyContin. He was only 22 when he passed away. When I was searching for a little bit more information about this, I found some quotes from Scotty, and they were in the context of a court case. Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family, who owned Purdue Pharma, have been the subject of multiple lawsuits for misleading the public about the addictive qualities of OxyContin. One lawsuit resulted in a settlement in March 2022, under which the Sackler family will pay up to $6 billion to address damage linked to the opioid crisis. As part of that settlement, the Sackler family was required to listen to the stories of opioid victims and their relatives. And in that case, Scotty spoke, and he told the Sacklers about his own mother and his sister and how they were killed by a drunk driver when he was 10 years old. He said, this man suffered from the disease of alcoholism. He couldn't stop drinking. You, on the other hand, your disease was greed, and you wouldn't stop making money even when you did something that was morally dreadful. He told the Sacklers about Trent, his son, how he was the most important person in his life. They did everything together. Scotty was his little league coach. And he said, Richard Sackler, as a father, I ask you, why didn't you tell everyone the truth rather than put your trust in money? And this story of opioids and this opioid crisis resonated with me because just this week I saw a headline that was about the Chicago opioid crisis saying that it isn't slowing down. And last year, more than 1,400 people in our city died of opioid-related overdoses, and that was a record. And this year, the city's on track to match that number. And it's a largely preventable and treatable issue. There's life-saving Narcan and fentanyl test strips. And if we treat drug addiction without the stigma and instead look at it as a public health crisis, we can maybe help some people who are in trouble. And stories like Trent's show that this isn't a problem just in the city. This isn't a problem just with poor people, just with, with people of color. This is urban and rural. This is wealthy and poor. And people like Scotty telling these stories brings the problem out into the open. Of course, there's some catharsis for Scotty in speaking and telling the Sacklers exactly what's on his mind. But it also takes a lot of strength for him to talk about his son's story. He does public speaking and talks about addiction and talks openly about addiction and the havoc that it can wreak on a family. I appreciated Scotty's story and Scotty's openness and uh, willingness to talk about his family and the problems that they've faced. And this also maybe, uh, you know, in a dramatic tone shift here, we got this on a list of cards that were obscure that we didn't expect to find a story about. And just kind of shows that each of these guys has a life and has exactly as you say at the beginning of each episode, Matt, a story to tell. Scotty Madison had an interesting and heartbreaking story. Indeed. I'm glad to hear him put those words out there. This is an issue that's touched my life and my family and probably everyone listening to this in some way. And we have to do better. And I'm glad Scotty's doing what he can. And so it is amazing to hear and always a little strange to put together the baseball card with the real life tragedy that folks go through with this. But 
that's why we do the show because seeing the real life that's behind the pictures on the front of the card and the stories that we find on the back so thank you for that david i really appreciate that and thank you scotty out there and thank you to you at home if you're ready to get in a pickup truck with kent herbeck right now and drive across the country you just let us know on twitter we're at tops 1988 thanks a lot we'll see you next week